As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Well, hello and welcome back as we begin season five of the podcast brought to you by Premier Unbelievable. This time looking at seven of Lewis's most significant apologetic and devotional books that we haven't covered before with Alistair. It's Justin Bradley sitting in once again for Ruth Jackson uh, as she continues maternity leave with Will and baby Eden Grace. Ruth will be returning later in the year though. Uh, you can find out more about the show as usual at cslewispodcast.com and do rate and review the podcast however you listen. Helps others to discover the show. An uh, 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 R. Detma left this review wonderful podcast and great insights from such brilliant minds thank you very much and alistair is actually one among many brilliant minds coming to this year's unbelievable conference saturday the 14th of may we're live from the british library in london but you can attend from anywhere in the world we'd love you to be part of it our theme is god unmuted it's all about helping the church find its authentic voice again so alistair will be there alongside people like lisa fields glenn scrivener sharon dirrocks Joseph D'Souza, John Wyatt, and I'll tell you about an exciting new podcast we have with John, who's a bioethicist later on, uh, plus Phil Vicious, Sky Jatani, and other guests to be announced. So uh, do check it out. And uh, your ticket also gets you access to our big conversation live event, part of the same event uh, in the evening, when Christian neuroscientist Sharon Dirick sits down with renowned brain psychologist Dr. Ian McGillchrist for a discussion on the mind and its master. It's going to be an exciting day. You can be there in person or online at unbelievable.live. That's the place to go and uh, get hold of your tickets. So uh, the link is with today's show. Uh, right now, though, why don't we leap into this new season of our podcast? Welcome back to this week's edition of the C.S. Lewis podcast. Uh, lovely to be sitting down with Alistair McGrath again. And uh, this time in this new season of the podcast, we're going to be looking at some of the various books that uh, Lewis had written, um, some of the, the shorter books, as it were, but very significant works, these ones. Pilgrim's Regress, uh, The Problem of Pain, The Screwtape Letters, The Great Divorce, Surprised by Joy, Reflections on the Psalms, and the four loves. I have a cup of coffee to keep me going here, Alistair, for our for our <laughs> chats uh, throughout this season. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I just want to say before we get into Lewis's books, let's not forget your own book on Lewis, which I'm holding up now. C.S. Lewis, A Life, Eccentric Genius, Reluctant Prophet. Um, remind us, when did you write this, this um, biography of Lewis, Alistair? It was published in 2013 to mark the 50th anniversary of his death. And it was great fun to research it. I came across stuff I didn't know existed and it was really fun to explore. 
Well, well, we'll talk a bit about that when it comes to Surprised by Joy, which, of course, is Lewis's autobiography. And, and you, you think you might have had something to correct him on even in, <laughs> in, his, own, uh, in his own autobiography. But, but we'll, we'll come to that in, in due course in the course of this season of the podcast. Uh, and I have a whole stack of other Lewis books here, including some rather ancient copies of some of the books we're going to be talking about, Alistair. Um, uh, w- just before we talk about some of the inspiration for these books, wh- when do you first remember bumping into the works of Lewis yourself, Alistair? I can remember quite well. I bumped into Lewis the first time in February 1974. Um, and I know that because um, I'd been given some book tokens for my birthday, which is in January. And people had told me, you ought to read C.S. Lewis. So I went to the nearest big bookstore in Oxford and uh, found uh, they asked for a paper and bought it and um, began to read it. And really, <laughs> that began it. I, I became addicted to reading C.S. Lewis, as a lot of people do. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm sure you picked up everything he's written ever since. Um, I, 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 I think that my first engagement with Lewis must have been Narnia, but I think I seem to remember you saying that, that you didn't come to Narnia until a bit later on, did you? That's right. Let's talk about um, where the inspiration for these books came from. Um, what, what made Lewis want to start writing in this kind of vein, having you know, obviously he, he was converted in the, the night, well, around 1930, we think. But um, what, what particularly inspired him to start writing books in this genre of Christian literature, devotional material and so on? Well, I think there were two things. One was, I think Lewis clearly felt, look, I'm an atheist who became a Christian. I know the kind of issues atheists have. I can actually help people to engage with these, either atheists thinking about Christianity or Christians wanting to talk to atheists. So he saw himself as, if you like, a bridge between the world of unbelief and the world of faith. He also, of course, had developed a very good narrative style. He worked on that very hard. And so I think he did feel that this was perhaps his professional calling. I think that word calling is very important because Lewis felt this wasn't just an occupation. This was something he felt he was meant to be doing. Now, occasionally, people would write to him and say, look, could you write a book on this? For example, The Problem of Pain was an invitation from um, a a publisher. But um, quite often, Lewis developed ideas independently, often over extended periods of time. So there's a mix of inspirations. And I think that's great because it it leads to a rich variety of books from Lewis. Was he confident, do you think, uh, that there was an audience for this? What what made him confident that that you know he could publish and be successful at publishing these books i think to begin with he was not confident if we go back to his first books um you know the pilgrim's regress and things like that i mean lewis really was an unknown and i think he, he really felt he he had um he had no expertise in the field to in effect secure either a readership or a publisher and i think that really once lewis began to break through to the public, through um, the problem of pain, through the BBC broadcast talks during the Second World War, and of course, particularly through the Screwtape Letters, Lewis, in effect, became a known name, and people began to, in effect, pick up whatever he wrote. So that happened over time, but to begin with, Lewis was finding his feet, and like every aspiring author, you know, he, he was really just trying to, trying to climb the ladder. It was quite a difficult and traumatic process for him. What what about his his writing habits and thought processes and that sort of thing? Um, what where did he get the inspiration? I suppose for these books and did he sort of talk about them with friends? Um, did they contribute to the formation of these books and so on? 
I think um, the Inklings were a very important stimulus to him. But a lot of these books, in effect, arose from Lewis having a, having an idea and wanting to develop it. Um, for example, um, we're going to be talking about um, The Great Divorce. And actually, Lewis had the idea for that book 10 years earlier and kind of kicked it around for quite a long time. So I think it, Lewis really was someone who had projects he began and finished quite quickly, but some actually he mulled over for years. So again, I think there's, there's a variety of patterns here. Some things almost were conceived um, ready to go, but some required really quite a lot of work mm. to develop them pr properly. I mean, w was he being encouraged by a publisher to, to produce these books? Were, I, I mean, and, and how much success was there with, with the early books? Well, quite often publishers would say to Lewis, look, um, we'd like another book from you. Um, for example, The Problem of Pain is a good example. But also, I think um, Lewis began to realise he could sell his books and therefore it was not particularly difficult to get contracts. I think that one of the real problems Lewis found was that um, in writing popular Christian books, which he loved doing, it kind of way ate up the, the time and the space when he really ought to have been writing academic books, because after all, that's why he was employed by Oxford University, to write these academic books. So I think that there was a bit of a, bit of a tension began to emerge at Oxford because they felt Lewis wasn't doing what he was paid to do. <laughs> well, I mean, I know that I remember from reading some of his letters and diaries and so on that he had this huge academic work. Um, uh, uh, he, he, I think he shortened it to O Hell, the Oxford History of English Literature. Um, I mean, how long did that take him to write? And what was he kind of writing while those major sorts of academic works were trying to be put down? Well, the answer is that took him ages. Uh, and in fact, it was a rather traumatic process because he, he read a lot of stuff and with some of them wrote never again. <laughs> in fact, but he did read everything. And that's one of the reasons why it took so long for that book to be written. But when it was written, it was a classic. I mean, it's not read very often today outside the field of English literature, but it, it was um, a landmark publication and it got Lewis elected as a fellow of the British Academy. So actually, when that book appeared, Lewis was redeemed in the eyes of the Academy. He'd finally delivered delivered <laughs> <laughs> as well as obviously delivering these shorter you know popular christian works along the way um i, I mean how were they received what what would you say was i don't know the book that really is you like put lewis on the map in in terms of this was it something like the screw tape letters because i know that did very well in america as well as obviously in the i think screw tape letters was really the book that enabled lewis to break through in the united states and that was very important and actually it's an ideal book for lewis to break through with because it, it's well written it, it's so original in england um, the problem of pain did sell well but of course what really got lewis noticed was these broadcast talks on the bbc which of course weren't broadcast in america but they were in the uk they attracted a very large audience and Lewis's voice became very, very characteristic. So actually people would, in effect, begin to buy his books because they, well, they'd heard of him, they knew him, they trusted him. So that was a very important stimulus to his books in the United Kingdom. But again, the Screwtape letters were very well received when they were published here as well as in the United States. And I imagine part of the reason for him then continuing to produce more books was because of the feedback he received. I mean, he was you know, a prolific letter writer as well. So presumably he, he started to receive feedback from the, the audience, the Christian audience especially, who were reading these books. 
That's right. He, he did receive a lot of what we now call fan mail. And actually, that, that really became very significant in the 50s and very early 60s. Um, but even in the 1940s, you can see Lewis um, engaging in dialogue with people being recognised. And actually, you know, Lewis loved writing. I think we have to say that. He may have found it difficult, but actually he felt very, very strongly this is what he was meant to be doing. And of course, as a... Um, uh, a lecturer in English literature at Oxford University. I mean, he read a lot of books and, and in effect, his own style developed partly because he was working on, but partly because he was reading so much other stuff that that kind of way fed into what he was doing. Tell us about um, the, the, the styles that he uses across the books that we're going to be looking at, because obviously um, some, some have a more sort of story telling approach um the screw tape letters you know in the voice of screw tape and and so on wormwood and uh the great divorce you know is is told in the form of a sort of parable or allegory or something and, and likewise a pilgrim's regress uh, others problem of pain and the four loves arguably in a more sort of conventional style so what what do you think were the choices lewis was making in the way he decided to, to put these points across in his books I think one of the most interesting things about Lewis is the way in which he's able to work at a rational and an imaginative level. And the problem of pain, I mean, you're quite right, it, it's a sort of rational reflection on the suffering problem. Um, it doesn't use stories very much, and they're one or two little narrative bits, but really it, it's a piece of analysis. Whereas um, the, the genius of um, <coughs> Screwed Up Letters is that it, it's a narrative framework developing a very traditional approach to spirituality, but in a completely novel way. And I, my own feeling is that Lewis is at his best when he's telling stories, that actually he has mastered the art of using stories to make difficult philosophical or theological points. And, I mean, he does write other books. Um, for example, you might think of An Experiment in Criticism, which is a late book. And actually, that, that is really about conceptual analysis. It's very good. So Lewis clearly could do this. But actually, I think his heart lay in telling stories. Did Lewis himself read much in the genre of popular Christian literature? I mean, did he have, if you like, other examples of this from, I, I don't know, authors like Chesterton, I, I'm thinking of, and, and others that, that he would have had in mind when he started his own project of writing? We know he read Cheston and we know he learned from Cheston and actually admired him. And of course, we know Lewis read very, very widely, even as a child. Um, but I think it's fair to say that Lewis sort of way was looking for role models and to some extent. And obviously, you know, there are parallels between him and Cheston. But actually, I have to say, Lewis kind of way takes Cheston and moves him up to the next level, which is why, of course, so many people, when they read Cheston, having read Lewis first, find Cheston a bit of a disappointment actually Cheston's very very good it's just Lewis is much better <laughs> um what were his other influences I suppose going further back than you know his contemporaries which arguably Chesterton was just about um was um you know wh wh who were the other people well, you have to bear in mind, he was really interested in children's novels and, of course, remembered those he, he, he had um, read himself as a child. And I think those, in some ways, stimulated his thinking. For example, you know, some of this language of veils or doors or things like that. That, that very much comes from his youth. But I think the thing that, that really impressed Lewis was perhaps not so much any individual style, but simply the fact you could write novels like this, which would appeal to, for example, children. Having said that, George MacDonald is very, very important for Lewis. Uh, MacDonald did write uh, children's novels, but his main gift 
gift, as far as Lewis was concerned, was this appeal to the imagination. I think, as I was saying, you know, Lewis really mastered this art of bringing reason and imagination together. So that actually you could have a, a, a story which makes very powerful philosophical or theological points. Mm. Well, well, we'll come to George MacDonald, who obviously appears as a character in one of the books that we're going to be looking at in this season of the podcast. Um, I, I was read, though, my, I was brought up really on Narnia, but also my, my father was a fan of um, George MacDonald, really, via Lewis. And uh, so The Princess and Curdie and those sorts of books were, were read to me as a child as well. Um, and only latterly did I read, obviously, the book that really set Lewis in, off on his love affair with, with MacDonald, which was fantastic. But um, we'll perhaps, who knows, perhaps we'll do another show on, on MacDonald and his influence at some point on, on Lewis. Um, I mean, were, were there sort of um, any books that Lewis wanted to write that he maybe had in mind but never got round to during his lifetime? Can you think of anything that he might have wanted to put pen to paper about, Alistair? Well, there, there are a lot of ideas that Lewis played around with and developed and then decided either to, to abandon them altogether or to come back to them later. For example, he was fascinated by Troy. And, of course, that, that theme does appear, for example, in The Dark Tower and various other places. And we know that Lewis developed a, a, a sort of book on this. He even read three chapters to Roger Lanston Green, but uh, then he abandoned it. And I, I, I mean, he may have come back to it. I mean, Lewis was like that. I mean, his writing style was to experiment. And so very often, I would mean, seeing where an idea would go. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And quite often he would, if you like, put the manuscript mm -hmm. away in a drawer and come back to it a couple of years later and see if he could get started again. So, it, it, it is a very good writing technique, which is to um, get something started. And then when you feel inspiration isn't really happening, you just stop it and then come back to it again later. Hmm. What, what, I'm trying to remember now, was The Dark Tower ever finished or, or was it sort of was it just an early manuscript that ultimately got, got published? This is a slightly controversial point because um, we do have the manuscript of The Dark Tower. But in my view, it. <laughs> It might not be written entirely by Lewis. I have to say this. It's a disputed matter. So perhaps we could just say that um, perhaps there's evidence that somebody else may have been involved in finishing it off. But um, as a rule, Lewis um, would come back to something and then polish it off. But um, sometimes I think he just felt this, this one couldn't be taken any further. I mean, I think I heard the statistic the other day that there are something like close to half a billion Lewis books that have been printed i mean which is extraordinary just phenomenal um i mean obviously narnia contributed greatly to that as it was a runaway success um how how successful were these specific books in his lifetime though you know what what was the, the take up of them they've obviously been in print you know ever since publication and and continue to be printed widely but but what what was the reception at the time would you say well at the time um they were they were seen as in effect, um, very exciting new contributions from a well-known author. And really, they, they made a very big impact, even back in the 1950s. And uh, we have to say that it's not as if Lewis has kind of way been rediscovered. I mean, Narnia was successful right from the word go, but it did have a sort of snowball effect. It kind of way mushroomed. So we need to just, just bear that in mind, that, um, that, that, that it, it is appealed to a later generation, even more than to the original generation, and has kept going. So it's very interesting that um, people will regularly be asked, what are the best books of the 
20th century, and you will not be surprised to know that Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia and Tolkien's Lord of the Rings regularly feature in these, simply because they are so significant, so well written, and of course engage significant issues. Yeah, and, and I think that's often what I hadn't quite understood before I came to sort of learn a bit more about Lewis through your book and others, was that Lewis, you know, he had this reputation as a as a great writer before Narnia. You know, he was on the cover of Time magazine, you know, after publishing Screwtape Letters before Narnia had ever, you know, seen the light of day. So so it's significant that, that, that although many people approach Lewis via Narnia and think, well, that was what he was known for, he was actually... You know, he was already well known in his time for, for, for these other publications, wasn't he? He had broken through both in the UK and the United States. And if you like, Narnia took that to a new level. But Lewis was well established by that time. Uh, he was a known figure. And if you like, Narnia really moved him up into the stratosphere. Well, look, I'm looking forward to delving into the books that we've got lined up for this season of the podcast. As I say, we're going to start with Pilgrim's Regress, The Problem of Pain, We'll move on to the screw tape letters, the great divorce, surprised by joy, reflections on the Psalms and the four loves. We're going to take them in chronological order as Lewis wrote them and, and just see what happened in the course of, of this writing. But thank you very much for being with me on today's edition of the podcast, Alistair. And I look forward to exploring these books with you in forthcoming episodes. And so do I. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for listening today. And as you heard, it's Pilgrim's Regress that we'll begin with next week. One of Lewis's lesser known books, but probably his first serious attempt at a Christian work after his conversion. If you want more from the show, you can go to our show page, cslewispodcast.com. And if you want to support the show from anywhere in the world, you'll find links there to do that with today's podcast. And by the way, we've had a new podcast recently join the premier unbelievable family of shows. It's called Matters of Life and Death. It's with bioethicist John Wyatt and his journalist son, Tim. They sit down on a regular basis to talk about all issues, ethical, scientific, biological, technological, from a Christian point of view. Um, Really worth a listen. If you want to get hold of it, just look for Matters of Life and Death wherever you get your podcasts from. And uh, Alistair McGrath and John Wyatt will both be special guests at this year's Unbelievable Conference on Saturday the 14th of May, alongside a host of other wonderful speakers. It's going to be very interactive, lots of Q&A during the day, opportunities to interact with our speakers as we talk about how we can speak with grace and truth into today's confused and divided culture. God Unmuted is our theme. You can find tickets at unbelievable.live. For now, thanks for being with us and see you next time. Thank you.